Have you guys noticed that you can't go anywhere without seeing designer this or designer that, even designer furniture? On my social feeds and celebrity homes, it's everywhere. Have you seen how expensive these are? Well, if you want the sofa or recliner or bed that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends, but without the designer prices. Oh, and they're well-made, too. It's the whole package. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. How did we become Central Ohio's most trusted team of orthopedic experts? We focus on what matters most, our patients. At Orthopedic One, we know we're only at our best when we're helping you get better. And every day, your commitment to overcoming pain and injury inspires and moves us. That's why we bring our best every day to earn your trust. Find a physician near you at orthopedicone.com. Alexander, all my friends call me Bill, and you're online with yours truly, Bill Alexander. We're doing a special edition of the program tonight. It is Tuesday. It is January 8th, 2019. I still am having a problem with saying 2019, but I guess eventually by July or August, I'll be able to get it out of my mouth in the right way. But anyhow, yours truly with you on a uh, on a Tuesday night here on YouTube and also on Fayette TV. Org, and also on online with BillAlexander.com. So uh, if you didn't get to check us live, you'll be able to listen to the rebroadcast on TV, YouTube, and also on the audio feed on Stitcher.com. And just made the announcement this week, we got on tuned in now too. So we're trying to get the iHeart next and we'll see what happens. But anyway, enough of me babbling about myself. On the phone line right now, we have meteorologist Jeff Frizzello on the program. Jeff, how are you doing this evening? Good evening. How are you, sir? I'm doing real well. Well, um, one question I have for you, since we've been through, I think, three seasons in one day, what is going to happen with the weather overnight tonight? Uh, uh, We were, first off, long overdue to have a little bit of a a flip of the script, so to speak. Uh, And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a a cold front coming through the area. Ahead of it, it is a surge of some very uh, warm air. Uh, temperatures well into the upper 50s, 60s in parts of the area, near 60 at least. And as a result of that, combined with the approaching cold front, uh, winds got rather brisk and gusty, and we had rain, even a couple thunderstorms in parts of the area. There were a couple warnings up near the I-80 corridor, and now with a front coming through, temperatures are going to start to take a little bit of a nosedive. And the rest of the week and even into the weekend, it looks like for the better part of the next seven days, it's going to feel more like we're accustomed to for the middle part of January. So are we going to actually see snow? We're going to see some. I don't think it's probably going to be a lot, but obviously, as I said, more than we've seen as of late. Uh, you know, on Wednesday and into Wednesday night, there'll be some occasional snow showers. Uh, we'll probably see on grassy areas an inch, maybe an inch and a half in total over the course of about 24 hours, so not a lot of snow, but enough that it's been a while, so it's going to get your attention. And then um, uh, those 
folks that maybe follow me via social media, we've been talking about we're watching a system for the weekend, uh, and there's still a lot to be determined with that. When you get with uh, these winter storms, uh, as we talk about in the weather industry, you know, 50, 60 miles can make all the difference in the world. So, you know, when you're four days out from a, a system, and really the energy is not even on shore in the United States yet, so it's tough to really get a handle on the exact track, which will be the ultimate determining factor as to who gets how much of probably snow. Uh, that's, it looks like the, that, for Saturday night, late Saturday, Saturday night, that looks to be the precipitation type not in question. There should be enough cold air in place. It's just who gets the snow and how much of it because if it takes the storm takes a uh, further south track uh there'll be less of it if it comes a little further north there'll be more of it and it will go further north into western pennsylvania so that's to be determined by by the weekend so whenever you whenever you do weather forecasts like this especially in the winter a lot of us want to know do you have a arrangement made with local grocery stores that when you start talking <laughs> about snow it's everybody going out and getting toilet paper and bread because for some reason it seems like you're on their payroll yeah, I, and I, I got that a lot over the years, and I, I get no kickbacks from any one of the grocery stores across the area. Uh, I don't even, you know, that's kind of something that probably could be researched as to where that that whole sort of phenomenon started, the bread, the milk, and the toilet paper. Now, I understand if you probably get enough bread and milk, you need the toilet paper for obvious reasons. Um, but those three things, I have no idea That's why people stock up whenever they see there could be some snow in the air. But... Um, I, I don't think it's necessary in the next few days. You can probably go with what, what you have on hand and get by. Sounds good. Now, you've been a meteorologist in western Pennsylvania for 23 years, correct? 23 years and in total 25. I, I did work a couple of years uh, when I started my career in uh, parts of deep south Texas. But, yeah, a quarter century in total. So moving up here had to be a shock for you. Not really, um, only because I've, I'm from here. Oh, okay. Um, born and raised in uh, Allegheny County. Um, so really the only two years, it was two and a half years of my life that I haven't been in western Pennsylvania were the two and a half years that I lived in south Texas. Uh, but I will say, to your point, it's very easy for... Uh, you're to get thin blood, so to speak. Mm -hmm. The two and a half years I spent there, I got very accustomed to some warmer weather year-round. So when I did move back here, it took me a little bit of time to get reaccustomed to the, we'll call them seasonal changes that we get, sometimes within the course of a day. Yeah. Um, so uh, predicting weather in Texas compared to up here, uh, a big difference? I mean, I know the weather patterns are different, but do you still have the same type of accuracy, or is it just uh, the same thing no matter where you're at? I think every every region presents uh, different challenges based on um, a number of factors. You know, here in western Pennsylvania, uh, you deal with the proximity to the Great Lakes, which does have influence. Uh, you have the um, the Laurel and uh, Allegheny Mountains uh, just down to the south and east, which have an impact. Um, and depending on which way a system comes in, whether it's from the south or from the north, it will have different uh, impacts, uh, you know, across the area. So there are different challenges in just some of the topographic features. 
in addition to knowing what direction something's coming from and typically how it behaves when it comes from that direction. And um, so there's a lot of factors at play, and that would be the case, you know, in any any region, and such was the case in South Texas as well. Uh, I was uh, down there probably 45 to 50 miles from the Gulf of Mexico, which was a major influence mm-hmm. down there. Uh, and then you get further inland and you run across some of the, uh, the desert regions of Mexico, which are on the western side of parts of the viewing area. So uh, you have almost different climactic zones over the course of maybe 250, 300 miles. So where did you go to school at? I got my uh, broadcasting uh, communications and English degree from Allegheny College, okay. which is up in Meadville, Crawford County. And my degree in meteorology was from Mississippi State University. Oh, okay. So uh, I know that there's two school, at least two schools in Pennsylvania doing meteorology mm-hmm. degrees. One is um, Penn State, and the other mm-hmm. one is just a stone's throw from where I'm sitting right now, which is California University of Pennsylvania. Excellent program at Cal U, yeah. So, um, and, and the thing I think interesting about weather, because I am in Fayette County, I'm within mm-hmm. oh, 20 minutes of the summit to the lower mountains, and it's interesting to see what a difference where I'm located in Brownsville, what Uniontown is going to look like at the same time. We may not have a dusting of snow here, and they may have, mm-hmm. have six inches of snow. It all depends on what the mountain does. Yes, well, and, and your prevailing wind flow and, um, you know, elevation and, uh, you know, what's the Laurel Summit is like 2,400 feet, something mm-hmm. around, around there. Um, so it, all those are, are, are factors into it. You know, sometimes when you have a, in your case, you know, near some of those higher elevations in Fayette County, when you have a northwest flow, we'll say, uh, that, that wind is coming in and it gets what's called pushed up, and that's called, and I, I don't want to get too technical, but it's called orographic uplift. And okay. when air rises, it condenses, it cools, and you get precipitation. So there may be nothing that happens in the lower elevations, but as you get up, couple thousand feet you're going to spit out some precipitation and that a lot of times what happens when you have a say northwest flow in winter why whereas the laurel highlands will do better with snowfall totals than some of the lowland areas of area because one of the things that uh, when i moved down here i'm originally from butler county when i came down here um mm-hmm. almost 30 years ago um we were always told if the storm came in from the east, we were going to see a larger snowfall because it's, again, coming over top of the mountains and then dropping into the valley. And uh, for the most part, when we, when, we, uh, when we get a nor'easter coming through, that's when we see most of our snowfall. Yeah, because, well, with a, with a system like that, uh, when it comes up the east coast, uh, when you take an area of low pressure that uh, they spin in a counterclockwise wind flow around them, you're going to pull colder air in on, say, the north and west side of the center of circulation, which would mean, say, along the ridgetops, you're going to, you're going to pull colder air down from the north, and then if you're within the precipitation field, then that colder air is going to interact with the moisture and you're going to mm-hmm. produce snow. Now, as you get further away from that center of circulation, you get less moisture. Uh, you still get cold air wrapping in, but less in the way of moisture. So, um, yeah, storms that come up, say, the eastern seaboard or up through the I-95 corridor, which would be over toward D.C., Philadelphia, New York, uh, those storms do produce higher snow totals across the lower highlands, down in through parts of, you know, 
uh, Garrett County, Maryland, into parts of northern West Virginia, Preston, Tucker County, West Virginia. Okay. Now, one of the things I want to ask you, since you've been up here for 23 years, um, have you noticed a change in, in the type of weather we're getting, that it's either become more severe or less severe over the last 23 years? Or is this all, I don't want to use the term um, climate change, but do we notice these cycles on a regular basis? You know, it, it's, and I'll give you an honest answer, it's, it's tough to really say. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, there have, there, I mean, we have weather changes around here, you know, four seasons, we get severe weather. Um, and I think a lot of the times, and history will judge on this, that the perception is that the weather now sometimes is more severe or more impactful than it was, say, 30, 40, 50 years ago. My, my issue with that and where I say I have a question mark is, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, we didn't have the up to the second accessibility to, you know, what we get on our phones. Right. And what we have with 24-hour news cycles. And, I mean, everything now is so accessible on such a, an immediate basis. You know, if there was a big storm, or we'll even say, you know, on the other side of the country, you know, wildfires in Southern California, which we get that information here instantaneously. You know, 30, 40 years ago, that was either probably like fourth page news in the newspaper, mm-hmm. or it was, I'm not even sure if it made a newscast here because you only had one a day that was 30 minutes long. So it's not to say that those types of weather events that we're seeing now didn't happen. Maybe we just weren't as aware with all the multimedia we have now. We're aware of everything. Okay. And that, and, and that makes a lot of sense. The other thing that um, I'm noticing, too, is that you, whenever you see a TV weather forecast, there's so much information that is given to the public. Do you believe the public actually understands what you're saying, or is it just filler to fill time? Probably uh, a little bit of both. Okay. Um, they uh, honestly, I mean, you're, you're given uh, when you do a TV broadcast, you're given a certain amount of time to present uh, the information, uh, which then you know, based on the weather situation, if it's a quiet day, then you have to find a way to fill. Typically, it's three or three and a half minutes. Um, on a more active day, when there's a lot of information, there's no problem. I mean, you can. I could probably do five minutes uh, and still probably want to present more information. Uh, so really, it's dependent on the type of weather on any given day. Now, in how that's presented, uh, there are some people, probably a lower percentage of, of John Q. public, that understand a lot of the technical terminology. So you want to, as a broadcaster, you always want to stay away from that because you couldn't, you can confuse people. Right. Uh, so you want to kind of present it in easy to understand terminology and terms. And at the end of any broadcast, you know, people really want to know. What's it going to be tomorrow? Is it going to rain? Is it going to snow? Is it going to snow how much? They want to know how the weather's going to impact their day. So if you have not accomplished that at the end of your time, then you haven't done your job correctly. Okay. Um, how you get from point A to point B, you know, to each person their own. I always tried to be as, you know, uh, understanding that people don't have all the weather terminology and understand what I do since I went to school for it. So my job is to really just kind of make it easy to understand and just kind of present the uh, the information 
in a manner that people will take away what they need to know. Okay. And and the other thing I wanted to ask you, too, is we've noticed in the last, at least maybe we're more aware, like you said, and because we're getting it at the moment's notice, that we've noticed some changes in our weather, such as tornadoes, which growing up in the in the late 60s and 70s i don't mm-hmm. remember ever having them and then i was away um one summer and in 86 there was a tornado that hit northern butler county and clarion county and now it seems like we're having if not one a year one every so often uh, and that that's a function of weather patterns we have up and down years um you know I know there's a recency bias, um, and you know mm-hmm. people will tend to to fall back on what has happened, you know, in the last six months. Say what's most recent in their memory. Uh, I don't have the information in front of me, but I could probably break down the last ten or twelve years and show you some years where things have been more active mm-hmm. with regards to severe weather and tornadoes, and years where it's been less active. In the end, it all works out to what's called climatology, which is the mean, the middle road. Um, but there are years that are more active than others, and there are anomalies, as we like to call them. Like today was an anomaly in that there was severe weather in parts of the area, at least warnings north of I-80, which typically doesn't happen in January. Uh, and in most Januarys, again, it probably won't. But every now and then, you get something unusual that happens. Um, and you just write that off, I think, for the most part, is is saying, you know, Mother Nature has her own agenda, and she's going to always throw you a curveball. And when you think you have everything figured out, she'll let you know that she's always got one up on you. Right. And is it unusual to have thunderstorms in January? Yes, it okay. is. And in why is that? In country, yes, it is. I'm sorry? And why is that? Uh, typically, you don't have conditions conducive to produce uh, thunderstorms this time of year. You need a certain atmospheric setup. You don't typically have a lot of warm air, which is one of the features that you look for, and you need a certain amount of lift. Um, and just there's atmospheric conditions that aren't as readily available now as, say, in May and June and July. Okay. Uh, you know, the summer months present you know, a whole different atmospheric setup. That's not to say that. You know, we haven't seen it. Today was a perfect case, and oftentimes you may even get something that's called thunder snow. Right. Uh, that's usually a rarity as well. It does, it's not necessarily a, a thunderstorm per se. It's thunder snow. It's, it's a really uh, situation like that is a really what we call energetic or vigorous type of winter storm. Mm-hmm. That there's still things going on in the atmosphere, even though it's cold that will produce uh, this differential in charges, negative and positively charged ions, and that's what causes some of the thunder and lightning that, that you get in any storm. Oh, see, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize that. Um, now, we've noticed that since you are no longer with the TV station you're affiliated with, you're doing the whiteboard. And mm, going whiteboard back, weather. Whiteboard weather, going back to, I guess, if you want to look, look about it, the early days of weather where you didn't have all the great graphics, you always had someone draw a, with a, mm-hmm. uh, a dry erase pen on a board, and usually the sun had a smiley face on it and there were clouds <laughs> drawn in. I love it the way you do it. I think it's the most unique way because it's basic information. That's what most of us are just looking for. You know, and, and earlier in the conversation, we discussed, you know, at the end of any particular weather segment that you may see on television, you just want to know X, Y, and Z, you know, uh, what's it going to do tomorrow and, and how will it impact my day? Uh, since I uh, have no longer had that broadcast form um, in, through a TV station, I thought, well, you know, 
this is what I've been doing for you know 25 years of my life, and I like to think I'm pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. And I think over the course of time, I've developed people that have a certain amount of trust in what I do. Um, so I took to social media uh, through my uh, Facebook page, and there's an opportunity to have what's called Facebook Live. And at 3 o'clock every day, I do a little bit of 10 or 15-minute sort of simple and but fun, informative weather slash entertainment um, presentation. And, you know, I have limited resources. I don't have uh, the resources that TV stations have with regards to the graphics. So I thought, well, how can I accomplish this? Now, I still have access to all of the information I need to put together a forecast because all I need is a laptop and I need to know where to go to get my information and how to decipher it, which I can do anywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the presentation aspect of it, I'm like, okay, I don't have a chroma key wall. I don't have a TV (laughs) camera. Uh, You know, I don't have all these bells and whistles. So the most simplistic way I thought of doing, let's get some whiteboard and some markers and we'll go to town. And um, people seem to have really, uh, really enjoyed it. It's kind of a, a throwback, you know, we'll call it a classic yes. way to present the yes. weather. It's simple, <laughs> and it gives people what they need to know. We, old school. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so I think it's interesting because most people, um, I mean, younger than I am, in their in their 20s to, say, mid-30s, early 40s, they're not really sitting down in front of a TV to get their information anymore. They're getting it off their phone or off their computer, <laughs> and you're doing it in a way where... If I go, I, I can get it quickly because I know if I go to any TV station's website to get the weather, I have to decipher getting through those pages, and that mm-hmm. always takes longer than I want it to. Well, as you know, we're in a society now where everything is at your fingertips, and people want information immediately. They, you know, people don't like to or want to wait if they don't have to. Right. Um, so that's why everyone has the, the devices close by. And when they go to their device and they're looking for information, they want answers now. They want to wait until later. And, and people are active now. They're on the move. Families have kids. They got activities. And, you know, uh, so I think giving people the information at their fingertips, you know, they don't need to be sitting in front of a TV and waiting for a certain time. Uh, you know, they can they can get it at work or if they're on a break or if they're having dinner later that evening, it pulled up on their, their device or their computer, or if they're sitting at a, a practice, basketball, soccer, whatever the case may be, and they can get the information that they need. Uh, so I, you know, I understand, even though I have worked in TV for so long, the way things are trending in society and how people are usually getting a lot of their information. So when you get your information um, to put a weather forecast together, where are you pulling it from on the Internet? There's uh, over the course of years, I mean, I go to various, uh, utilize various uh, websites uh, to get information. um, And it presents me, you know, there are certain places I go. And actually some websites you need to belong to, for lack of a better term. Uh, So you need to be a a member. but it, it helps me uh, break down different uh, what's called computer model information. There are various uh, computer models um, 
that will give you outlooks of information and where certain weather features are expected to be. And, you know, you have to break it all down in different slices of the atmosphere from the surface all the way up to the jet stream level. So uh, you look at all these information from one computer model, and then I'll look at it from a different computer model. And as I said before, the longer you are somewhere, you know which computer model tends to perform better in any given situation, so which one is more trustworthy okay. versus another one. Uh, so, uh, you know, computer models do a lot of, uh, of the work in terms of projecting the future with a lot of the weather features. It's my job to look at all this information and figure out which one makes the most sense and why. Okay. And so which one will I use to guide my hand? I, I, I don't use any computer model lock, stock, and barrel 100%, but in any given situation, I'll lean on one for a guidance tool, and then I'll interpolate myself based on my experience to think how that situation, that computer model will probably end up you know playing things out okay um before i got on with you tonight i was on uh, noah's website and mm -hmm. i was surprised because i would never thought that the government shutdown would actually affect them and mm -hmm. they're not updating their website no uh i mean they're a government agency just like uh, you know a lot of other places and uh, i you know the local offices uh like the pittsburgh office or the cleveland office they are still operating and they're doing their daily duties, uh, but um, I guess what they consider to be non-essential um, are the, the where they've sort of made the cuts and, and they've cut back, I believe, on their staff. But they still are staff, but they're not uh, they're not as as active as they have been or will be whenever the everything gets back up and running full. So when you look at these websites, I'm thinking of weather.com, Weather Underground, mm -hmm. and all this stuff. I never realized what a, what, I don't like using the term, but the big money that weather generates. Mm -hmm. Because everybody needs it. And if you look at these websites compared to what you do, how accurate are they? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I hate to scare excuse the pun, rain on anyone else's parade. Um, but it's all a matter of, of it's personal preference. You know, okay. what, what does somebody trust? I mean, if, if you're a person that has 100% complete trust in, in a weather app from whoever you get it from, then good, go, go for it. Okay, that's great for you. I'm somebody personally, and probably because of, of what I do, uh, that will always trust more of a human element okay. to interp interpret what the computers are printing out um, and apply you know that human intellect and experience into a situation. A lot of times what you're getting from apps or where if you go on the computer is those are computer 100% computer generated forecasts. So there's no human interface there. There's no human interpolation of anything. It's just pulling computer numbers and it's, it's plastering out there. Sometimes they're accurate, for sure. But sometimes they're not because there's no one that's kind of adding their two cents and their expertise into that mix. So over 25 years, how accurate are you? Uh, I'm pretty good. I think <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. Um, I mean, <laughs> Mother Nature, as I said, is humbling. Um, right. You know, we, none of us have it all figured out, and nor will any of us ever have it all figured out. Um, but as long as you're you're winning a lot more than you're losing, you're doing okay. Because quite honestly, at the end of the day, 
um, any meteorologist is is doing a job where uh, we're predicting the future, basically. Right. Um, we're, we're using our, our education and the information that we gather, and we're doing our best to predict the future. Of course, that is going to come sometimes with not being 100% accurate. There's no uh, soothsayer that is 100% accurate. But as long as you're getting it right a lot more often than you're getting it wrong, especially in important and, you know, uh, weather situations and potentially dangerous, uh, as long as you're getting that information out there and, and giving people what they need to know in a timely fashion, then you're doing okay. But, you know, here, here's, here's, I'm glad you asked this. Here's what I consider an accurate forecast, and there people may disagree over the years. If we put out a, or I put out a forecast that says uh, you're in Brownsville or Uniontown or wherever, right. that you're going to get an inch and a half of snow. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know that I've predicted an inch and a half of snow. You know it's going to snow. Say it, it, the storm system ends up overachieving what my expectations were. And say Brownsville, Uniontown gets four inches of snow. Now, of course, my forecast was under what actually happened by two and a half inches. So it, it can't be called 100% accurate. And people may get ticked off because it was not up to the four-inch level that eventually happened. But at the end of the day, you knew it was going to snow. Right. So you weren't surprised. You may have been a little bit, you know, disappointed that you got four inches versus an inch and a half. But at the end of the day, my question is, did you know it was going to snow? Right. If your answer is yes, okay, then I did my job. Okay, I, I I get that rationalization, and that makes sense. And I'm sure I'm sure people come to you that if you say it's not going to rain or whatever it is, and it does rain, I'm sure you hear about it. Absolutely, and and, and I mean I think that has not honestly I don't think I'm trying to think that in recent years that I can't recall a time that that's really been an issue. I mean, typically whenever uh, you know. I say, or and I don't want to speak for other people, but myself, you know, I, when I'm predicting some type of precipitation, it happens. Oh, yeah. Now, whether or not, I mean, it, where where you, things get hairy is okay. We say, or someone says, scattered showers. People have to understand what the word scattered means. You know, it doesn't mean everyone is going to see rain, and people kind of get upset because they want to know what it's doing outside their window. Right. Um, you know, I always have a saying about meteorologists: we're good, but we're not God. So, um, you know, I can't say with, with a scattered shower setup that it's going to rain in Latrobe at 4 o'clock for 15 minutes with 100% certainty. I can say there's a good chance at some point during the day you're going to see some rain, but, you know, maybe it doesn't rain. Maybe it misses Latrobe by 15 miles. You know, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, we, people have to understand that, there is a there is a margin of error that that needs to be applied uh, for rational thought. So the the one thing that surprises me, and, and I I was I when I was a kid, I enjoyed the movie Back to the Future too, and they were getting these updates on these devices saying it was going to rain, and now I'm getting updates on my phone from whoever it may be saying at eight ten the rain is going to begin, mm-hmm. and doggone it, they're almost right the majority of the Some time. Of some of those algorithms are, are pretty accurate, and a lot of those, when they're putting it out, um, are based on, uh, and, and I think those algorithms perform pretty well when there is precipitation that they can track. Right. 
uh, which is to say within a, within a certain range of any given spot. So if you have precipitation that you can actually track and you know how fast it's moving because you've had a beat on it, and you can interpolate, okay, we're at 60 miles away, it's moving at 50 miles an hour, so it should be here around XYZ time. Those, those algorithms perform pretty well in that case. Now, the problem is if it's 8 o'clock in the morning and it's going to tell you it's going to rain at 4.04 in the afternoon and there's no precipitation anywhere to track, that's a tougher sell. And okay. I think in those situations, it probably doesn't perform quite as well. So if you're telling me there's a 70% chance of rain, and there's a 30% chance that it's not going to rain. What does that mean? Oh, the big percentage chance. Yes, because I've always heard different stories about it. Mm. And since I have you here, I want to know what it is. Well, personally, I never like to use those okay. because I think they are confusing. Um, you know, I don't think people fully understand when people put out percentage chances what they mean. Does that mean that 50% of the area is going to get rain and 50% is not? Um in truth, what it means, if you hear percentage chance, that means that given the, certain, the, the weather situation as the forecast is, you know, the, the way things are, you know, low pressure coming in or a cold front, given that weather situation and setup, if it's a 70% chance, 70% of the time that that weather setup occurs, you will see precipitation in your, in your area. Okay. That's what it means. So, so it's really taking the percentage chance based on the weather situation that it will precipitate. It has nothing to do with 70% of the area will get rain and 30% will not. Okay, because that makes a little bit more sense that it's the condition that I'm dealing with, not with... Um, Correct. Okay, that, ma that makes more sense. Correct. Um, when you're working at a TV station, are, do you have a team of meteorologists working with you or the ones that are there just are going to be on the air? Is there anybody behind the scenes? You're talking to them. Oh, all the years that I did it, it was me, myself, and I. That's my team. Okay, because <laughs> I was always curious about that because I know that most stations in Pittsburgh they have multiple meteorologists, mm -hmm. and there's one or two that have weathermen. What's the difference? Uh, a meteorologist is somebody that has gone to school uh, to study meteorology and, and, and has a degree uh, in that field. Okay, uh, a weatherman or weather person will, will, will be neutral uh, is somebody that doesn't have the meteorological training rather they're more of a a broadcaster giving the weather information so the myth information they're giving would you have been the one preparing that yes okay yes I uh, whenever and I'll just give you what my day used to look like uh, if I had a 4 o'clock broadcast, I would usually get to work around 1.30, uh, which is about two and a half hours. And over that course of two and a half hours, uh, you know, I would sit down and actually uh, prepare the forecast myself, do the research, put together my thoughts, and then my outlook, my forecast. Um, and then from there, I would take that information and then build the graphics that I was going to use to present the information that night. Okay. So it was, now in some cases, you get in some of the bigger markets, um, they have what are called weather producers, uh, or people that you never see on air. And those people, sometimes the weather producers will do a lot of that legwork uh, for the quote unquote on-air talent. Mm -hmm. And um, on the average station in Pittsburgh, how many meteorologists do they have on staff? 
Um, three or four. Okay. And that's basically to cover the air shifts, correct? Correct. Okay. There's, there's, uh, there's a lot more newscast uh, and news time now than there were, you know, uh, 30 years ago when you had, you know, uh, a noon, a 6, and 11, that was it. Right. And, and now um, you have all the morning news, you got noon, you got 4, 5, 6, 10, 11, you know, some may have the 7 o'clock broadcast. Because you have so many more newscasts, did you feel more pressure about getting your forecast right because you're being viewed more often than you were before? No, not not really. I mean, I you know, I whether even on a day there were some days that maybe some of the broadcasts were preempted for uh, other programming, mm-hmm. whether it be sports or otherwise. Um, but no, I, I would I approach my job the same way every day, uh, and that would be you know regardless of how many broadcasts I had that day or regardless of what the weather was that day. If, you know, we don't have too many of them, but if it was sunny in 72, you know, I wouldn't take a day off, so to speak, you know, because it was an easier weather pattern. Okay. Uh, I always felt I was a person of routine, and I approached my job the same way every day, regardless of what the outlook, you know, had, whether it was really active weather or really benign weather. So what does the, the, the term chief meteorologist mean? Uh, pretty much means the buck stops with you. Um, you know, you're the, the head of the department. Um, so, you know, you're usually on the, the main evening broadcasts. Uh, so you're the face of the weather department. Okay. Um, so you sort of, sort of run a lot of the behind the scenes as well in the department, some of the decision making that goes on, not all of it, but some of it. Now, um, when you came to Pittsburgh, uh, did you come in just as a meteorologist or as the chief meteorologist? No, I was I was just uh, just a meteorologist um, when I started in '96. Uh, Larry Richard was I was doing the evening broadcast, and I originally started doing some of the weekend shows. Uh, and then over the course of time, I think I bounced uh, to the mornings for a little while. Uh, then back to weekends, and then eventually when, uh, when Larry moved on uh, to assume greater responsibilities in radio, then I was slotted into the, the evening position. So did Larry have his degree in meteorology? He did not. Oh, so he, so he was in charge, but he wasn't, he didn't, you had more education than he did then. That is correct, and sometimes that happens. Okay, see, I, I didn't realize that. I, yep. I, I find that yep. very interesting. Um, would that same situation happen today, or would they be looking for a meteorologist? It, it potentially does, and off the top of my head, I, you know, I could probably think of markets where that could be a possibility, but for the most part, I'd say in most television markets and cities that um, – a lot of the people are degreed meteorologists, and you have fewer "quote unquote" weather people. Okay, uh, but in some of the more less active weather places, San Diego's, LA's, you still have meteorologists, but you're more inclined to find just maybe weather people, which again are broadcasters presenting weather information. Okay. You're not going to find that like in a Miami or Pittsburgh, uh, for the most part, or you know any place that certainly not through. The Tornado Alley area. Everyone there is a degreed meteorologist. You know where it's the most active. Then, yes, where you're getting really serious weather concerns, where things are maybe not quite as, you know, active (laughs) all that often. You're going to probably have a better chance to find um, more of a 
a weather talent, as it's like to call rather than a meteorologist. Okay. So one of the questions I probably should have asked you when I started this, what made you want to become a meteorologist? Uh, uh, it's, a long, it's a long story. Um, I'll try and be as concise as possible. I started in radio uh, with my degree, and when I was living in South Texas, I was on radio first. Okay. An opportunity presented itself at the ABC affiliate in uh, it was called the Rio Grande Valley, uh, an on-air position. Uh, which I accepted the job, and at the time, it was uh, sort of a, a Swiss Army knife sort of broadcasting job, which means I, I did whatever they needed any given day or any given week, from um, news anchoring to field reporting to sports to weather. I did, you know, I was sort of the Swiss Army knife of the station. And then I think after about six months and I was there, uh, the gentleman that was doing the morning weather uh, he moved on, and they slotted me into that position. Um, and then from there, I just I sort of uh, really took a a liking to the challenge that the weather presented. And at that time, I went back to school to get my degree in meteorology as I was working. Um, and then that's where I was ever since, and working in that field. So, so that it was nothing that I had a design coming out of college that this is what I wanted to do. It just happened. It that makes some sense now, because now I understand why you were doing football broadcasts, uh, <laughs> where you're going, going, that was, because to me, that was an odd fit. But if you had a background in sports, that makes some sense. Yeah, well, and, you know, and I always said at the end of the day, and, you know, all the years that I had done uh, some of the, the broadcasting during the Steeler games, preseason games primarily, um, you know, it's one of those things, if you're a broadcaster, you can broadcast. Right. Uh, no, no matter what the case may be, if you know if you're a good broadcaster and someone gives you information about you know a, a news event, you should be able to go out and and be competent enough to to do the job. Um, just like it is saying football. If you're, I always say you know Cordell Stewart, he was more than a quarterback. He was slash. He did multiple things mm -hmm. because he was a good football player, not just a quarterback. Uh, and I think the same can be true in terms of broadcasting. If you're a good broadcaster. You can be shuffled around into multiple roles and be successful. Um, what I do, because when I broadcast and I went in the other direction, I went into education, and that's what I teach now. For students that are interested in going into broadcasting or meteorology or whatever it may be, what suggestion mm -hmm. do you have for them? Uh, it, 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 like a lot of fields, is very competitive. Uh, I think now it's probably more competitive than it's ever been, and the reason being is there are fewer jobs now than there ever were before. Um, and that seems almost kind of you're saying, how could there be fewer jobs? There's more media outlets. Right. Um, but ever, but the, the media pie is shrinking uh, in terms of the on-air. There, there's, a, there's a big push to do more with less. Uh, so in that respect, there are people that are have a job, but they're doing multiple things in that position. So it's the days of just being a specialty reporter are pretty much going by the wayside. You have to be one of those people that's a Swiss Army knife. Uh, so there are fewer positions just by the nature of the business um, sort of becoming stagnant. And you have a lot of people that want to come out and get these jobs. So there's more competition for them. So if you're diehard and dead set on making your career in broadcasting, 
you have to be very resolute in in your desire. Uh, you can't be told no once and then walk away with your tail between your legs and say, okay, I'll find something else to do. Right. You have to keep plugging away and you have to keep, you may get told no, 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 five, 10, 15, 20 times until you finally get your shot. And when you do get your shot, uh, be prepared to, to go to a, a small town. Uh, you know, very rarely does it happen that someone coming out is going to get a job fresh out of college working on TV in Pittsburgh doesn't happen that often. You're going to have to go and what's called, as we all know, pay your dues uh, in a smaller TV market um, before you can get enough experience to sort of start moving up the ladder. Mm -hmm. So you now have been uh, not working in the city of Pittsburgh for about a month now? Uh, since December 14th. So yeah, almost so, a month. Almost a month. So are you taking time off? Are you looking elsewhere? What are your? Do you have any future plans? Let me ask you that. At the moment, I have uh, nothing cooking. Um, I, I really have decided to take some time uh, and, and honestly enjoy my family. I don't know sometimes that's a cliche thing, but uh, given the fact that a lot of this happened around the holidays, uh, and I have two very active uh, sons who are in a, several acti athletic activities and after-school activities, uh, a lot of that which, given the the constraints of, of the job that I was previously in and working a lot of evenings I was not available for, so I'm enjoying being available for a lot of those uh, important moments that I was not available for before. Uh, and, you know, I'll figure out my next move. You know, I'm, I'm not in any rush. You know, then, then I want to make sure that what happens next is what's a good fit for me and a good fit for my family. So, uh, you know, I'll just take things as they come but at the moment and you know i've had people ask me on social media are you going to leave pittsburgh i have no designs on leaving pittsburgh this is my home always has been always has been and always will be mm -hmm. uh so uh, you know i'm gonna figure things out and we're, we're not going anywhere so um again are you i mean i, I hate to ask you this but are, mm -hmm. are you looking to stay in the meteorology field broadcasting i know there's a lot of of, of uh, facilities now where they actually create weather forecasts for the apps and stuff like that, mm -hmm. like the AccuWeathers and stuff like Would you be interested in doing something like that? We'll see. We'll see. Honestly, and, and, I, and I don't mean to, to, to not give you a straight answer. I just don't have a straight answer to give you. Oh, okay. Uh, my, my answer is all options are open. Um, you know, I'll, I'll look at every single option uh, that presents itself, and I'll be open to, to, to all options. And you know, I'll again at the end of the day see what's a what's a good fit for what what I'm looking for and what's good for you know my family. Right. Um, and I'll make decisions from there. We'll make decisions as a family. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't mean to dodge your question. That's certainly not my intention. It's just I don't have an answer for you right now. It's it's still relatively fresh. It hasn't. It'll be four weeks at the end of this week that uh, I was I'm no longer working uh, at the station. So um, I'm still. In the process of just, you know, figuring things out and just really, as I said, enjoying my time with my family. And that and that's that's great to hear. Um, over the last twenty five years of being a meteorologist, is there one situation dealing with the weather that you remember more than any other one? I remember several, um, <laughs> and they're all, uh, as you would imagine, related around severe weather situations. Um, Two that stand out, uh, it was the tornadoes uh, June 2nd, 
1998, um, when there were, I think that day there were six tornadoes yes. that occurred across the that. area, and that mm-hmm. was the one that came through downtown Pittsburgh or real close to Mount Washington. Um, so I remember that day very well. And then the other one was the uh, the Snowmageddon event, which was... <laughs> I remember that, too. February, February of 2005, I think it was. Yeah, I mean... Off the top of my head. Um, it was early February, but I remember that for a number of reasons, not only for the amount of snow that occurred, but uh, <laughs> that night, uh, it was a Friday night, as I recall, um, a former colleague of mine, Patrice King-Brown, who I worked with for many years. We worked in the 11 o'clock broadcast, and uh, she lived a few neighborhoods away from me at the time, uh, and she wasn't comfortable driving home, nor did she want to stay in the city if she didn't have to. She wanted to get home because it was a Friday night in the weekend. So I can remember I I offered to to drive her home because I was more comfortable driving in those conditions. And I think we left the station at 11.45 that night, and I think I pulled into her house. It was probably close to 1.30 in the morning. Uh, typically, it would have been about a 20-minute drive on most nights, and it took us, you know, almost two hours to make that drive that night. But we had a heck of a time. We were driving the car, going slow, and singing tunes. <laughs> <laughs> it's always better when you can do it with somebody else instead of white-knuckling it all the way home. Because um, I've had that happen on several occasions in the past, too. Because um, I, when I ask you that question, the, the, I was... If it was me, someone asked us, yes, I remember that one day in July of 2015 when it was 87 mm-hmm. and sunny. I mean, it was just so perfect. But I guess any time you would remember anything, it would be the severe weather situations that uh, that would have happened. Yeah, and there, I mean, there, obviously there have been countless severe weather situations from flooding to, you know, downbursts, uh, you know, microbursts or tornadic situations, um, you know, far too many for me to recall them all. Right. Um, and I'm sure people will have different memories in their own lives based on how it impacted them on any given day when there was severe weather. Uh, but from my perspective, there were those are the two that stand out to me um, because I can recall them so clearly. And I remember the dates for the most part, and I can remember the events of each of those days. Uh, as they played out. One of the things I wanted to ask you, and, and uh, before I forget, when we when we see weather on a national level, we always see the weather person putting themselves in, I don't want to say harm's way, but, mm-hmm. but in the elements to get that story. Mm-hmm. Why don't we really see that on the local level? Uh, I, I'm not somebody that could probably answer that, those decisions. Are made were made uh, in in more managerial roles okay. as to where people would go in any given uh, situation. Uh, but I will tell you from a personal um, level that I'm not a fan of that, um, just because I don't like people putting themselves in harm's way for no reason. Uh, and I don't mean to diminish the coverage as no reason, but I think anyone's safety is certainly more important than getting a good uh, good video shot. Um, so, you know, whenever you see people standing on the beach when a Cat 3 hurricane is rolling in, I've never been a fan of that. And quite frankly, I'm surprised more people haven't been injured over the course uh, of the years that that's been going on. And there have been some people, tornado chasers, that have been caught in positions where people got injured and some people lost their lives. Um, so I've never been a fan of 
we'll, we'll call that extreme weather hunting. Okay. Um, for the for the sake of maybe getting some good video. Because I, I just seem that I because for some reason it's only on the national level. I've never really seen it locally. And again, is it because it's a the, the what I'm thinking of is the Weather Channel because of the, mm -hmm. is it sure. because of the, the 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 ratings they're trying to get or the viewership, or is that what they're known for now is to get that extreme weather as um, whoever it is is standing on the beach as you said when the Cat Three or Cat Four hurricane comes mm -hmm. through and they're ho holding on for dear life. I don't understand how that can be enjoyable to watch, but I guess there may be a few people that tune in just to see that. I, you know, the ratings have shown that in those situations, the, the more people are tuning in. Uh, and I guess if, if you want to dumb it all the way down, it's, it's almost like the rubbernecking an accident sort of thing. Okay. Uh, when, pe when people see an accident, they slow down and they try and see what's going on. So I think people sometimes are more prone if, to watch if they see somebody standing there putting their, their life in danger that somehow that, that's more interesting for people to watch. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I'm more a fan of people being safe. Uh, but I, I get I guess I come at it from a different perspective. No, I, I can understand. I can understand where you're coming from on that, too, because it's never made any sense to me why someone would do that. Now, before I let you go, is there anything else you want to add tonight? Uh, I don't think so. We covered a lot of ground. I mean, I, you know, anyone that's listening, um, you know, we, I think we touched on it briefly that uh, at 3 o'clock Monday through Friday, I, uh, on Facebook, via Facebook Live, I do uh, about a 10, 15-minute uh, little broadcast uh, called Whiteboard Weather, uh, where we, again, cover the, the weather outlook for that day and the next few days. Um, I toss in a couple fun facts here and there. And, uh, you know, it's mostly about weather, but, you know, we play music and I have a little fun. Just, you know, it, it's more laid back uh, than than the three minutes I used to do on television. So um, for anyone that uh, over the course of my career that, that followed me and uh, perhaps trusted the work that I did, I'm still doing it via social media. So I invite anyone to, to please find me on Facebook or Twitter for that matter. I put the information out, but it's, it's not as interactive in terms of the video uh, to find me on uh, Facebook or Twitter, I'm at VRZ Adverbs. Uh, so, so join join the party. So, so with you doing this, how how popular is it becoming? Are, are people watching it? Yes, I mean, it, you know, it, it's become uh, more popular than than uh, I anticipated it to be. I, you know, I I started started doing it just to to keep some of the normalcy. In my life, you know, when 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 your routine gets uprooted, um, I think the way to sort of counterbalance that is to find uh, a new routine as quickly as possible. And who I am as a person for the better part of the last 25 years has been, you know, Monday through Friday, doing a little weather forecast. And um, so I thought, okay, well, you know, I'll, I'll put it out there, and if people want to consume it, that'd be awesome. And you know, it, it seems to have gotten some decent traction. And, you know, if people can't watch, you know, at the 3 o'clock when I'm live every day, I, I post it right after I'm done so they can go find it, you know, 5, 6, 7 o'clock that evening or even the next day. Uh, it's always there. Uh, but, you know, it just it kind of keeps some normalcy in my life, keeps me uh, active in doing what I love to do. And uh, for people that, you know, appreciate and trust what I do, the, the information is there as well. Now, if you could figure out how to monetize that, you may have created your, a new job. <laughs> I mean, hey. 
you never know where things are going to go. You, you, you know, the saying goes, you throw enough against a wall, maybe something's going to stick. So, I mean, honestly, 20 years ago when I was looking, working at a radio station doing the same thing, I never thought I'd be doing it out of my home and broadcasting yeah. at four different locations now. So, hey, I mean, anything's possible, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So, Jeff, I appreciate you taking time and talking with us tonight. I really, uh, really enjoyed it. And you've answered a lot of my questions, and I'm sure you've answered a lot of other people's questions, too. And we'll uh, look out for you on Facebook at 3 o'clock Monday through Friday for your uh, whiteboard weather. And uh, good luck to you, and hopefully we can talk to you again in the near future. Sounds good, Bill. I really appreciate it. Enjoyed talking with you as well, my friend. Hey, have a great night. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks. Bye-bye. Jeff Rosella, uh, meteorologist out of Pittsburgh, Allegheny County, has he was online with yours truly, Bill Alexander Knight. Enjoyed that a lot. Um, kind of fun. You don't get to talk to a lot of people, and I've talked to broadcasters from radio, TV, news anchors, whatever it may be. He is the first meteorologist that I've actually able to talk to and, and got a lot of my questions answered. Hopefully we got some of yours done. And uh, maybe uh, in the near future, maybe in six months or so, we can bring him back on again and uh, go a little bit more in depth and maybe have some people call in and talk to him also. But anyway, really appreciate that you were able to join me tonight. Remember the phone number for the program in the future. Let me put this up on screen for you. It's 724-505-1955. Again, that's 724-505-1955. 1955 and everybody uh, thank you for watching us on YouTube and also on Fayette TV uh, channel 77 on the Atlantic broadband system and also at um, online with yours truly Bill Alexander so everybody you have a great night great morning great afternoon enjoy the time you have whatever time of the day it is and we'll talk to you next time here online with yours truly Bill Alexander How did we become Central Ohio's most trusted team of orthopedic experts? We focus on what matters most, our patients. At Orthopedic One, we know we're only at our best when we're helping you get better. And every day, your commitment to overcoming pain and injury inspires and moves us. That's why we bring our best every day to earn your trust. Find a physician near you at orthopedicone.com. Ready to launch a new career or not sure what to do after graduation? Rumkey is hiring for CDL driving trainees. We pay you to get your CDL license while working for us. Driver trainees receive $18 an hour, great benefits, and Rumkey will pay your CDL costs. Once you're a CDL driver, you can earn $1,000 to $1,300 a week and more than $10,000 in bonuses possible in your first year. Apply today and launch a lucrative career at Rumkey. Apply now at RumkeyCareers.com. Equal opportunity employer. Restrictions apply. People turn to the Weather Channel app for their weather forecasts every day. But what if the app could forecast more? Like allergy risk trackers and real-time rain alerts. So you know when to stay inside, load up on tissues, and podcasts. And 24-hour future radar, so you can plan to get outside, load up on sunscreen, and podcasts. Do more of what you love. Don't just check the weather. Embrace it with the Weather Channel. 
Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.